This is Michael Osterlink. Welcome to Our Radio, where we explore individual and social transformation through collaborative action. I'm a psychotherapist with a transpersonal somatic specialization. I'm also a transpersonal social entrepreneur and head instructor at Seal Fitz Unbeatable Mind Academy and executive coach at Spartan 7. Today's show is brought to you by Cosper Scafidi. Cosper is an amazing body worker in North Virginia area who has integrated different somatic practices into his work including biodynamic and mechanical cranial therapy, visceral manipulation, as well as neuromuscular and myofascial approaches into his rolfing work. You can learn more about Cosper's work at www.cosperscafidi.com. Today's guest is a return guest, Gary Collins. Gary has a unique background, which includes military intelligence, special agent for the U.S. State Department Diplomatic Security Service, U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, and the U.S. FDA. Collins' background and expertise includes much-needed perspectives on today's areas of simple living, health, nutrition, entrepreneurship, self-help, and becoming more self-reliant. Today, with Gary, we're going to be talking about his new book, The Simple Life Guide to Financial Freedom, Free Yourself from the Chains of Debt and Find Financial Peace, which is a fantastic book available at your local bookstore at Amazon and on audio at audible.com. How you doing, Gary? Good, good. With that, I didn't understand hardly any of that intro. How dummy like me get on here? Whoa. (laughs) (laughs) Too many big words? (laughs) There was a lot of big words in there. And and people who do not believe that I do live in my RV, I'm in my RV. So I had to show that because I asked you, I go, do you want to see my kitchen? That's, that's the view we got. Well, what's great about Gary for anyone who unfortunately has not run across his work or listened to my previous interviews with you or listened to your interview with me, you've also written books about off the grid living. So one of our interviews where you were at your off the grid home in Washington state, we got a tour of that. You've written books on RV living and you're obviously an example of that that. you're in your RV, which is awesome. Um, maybe offline, I'll explain some of those bigger words to you, but for now, we have to break this stuff down. I mean, (laughs) holy cow. I mean, I need, I need someone to decipher your background. (laughs) A little lost on that. Is it NASA? Do I got to Do I send an email to NASA or who? I'll explain somatics and transpersonal. (laughs) But for now, we're going to talk about personal debt, 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 and financial freedom. So, before we kind of jump into specific aspects of your book where you talk about how we need to rethink weddings yeah. and buying cars and colleges, et cetera, et cetera, you have the, your basic intention is money equals freedom. Yeah. From that, we can kind of jump into various ways we spend our money or in the way you might present it, misspend our money, which makes us slaves to certain things and limits our freedom. So t- talk to us a little about why you think and how you might express and explain money equals freedom. Yeah, and the reason I came up with that is some people don't understand. I do, I am a believer in capitalism, true capitalism, which mm-hmm. is you keep what you earn and it is based upon free market, right? We don't have that and we haven't had that for a very long time. So a lot of people either will vilify money or which today, unfortunately, in our consumerism society, most people think of it a way to acquire shiny objects. So we have this weird dichotomy today. You have people who pursue it for greed and power, politicians, big business, you know, the, they're all tied together, you know, 
And then you have the rest of us who basically feed that model by being consumers and again, by buying shiny objects. So with this book, and I do it all in basic math because A, I'm a dummy, um, but B, that's all you need. I wanted to, yeah, I wanted to prove a point that you do not have to be a mathematical genius to figure this stuff out. It's not that complicated. And when people look at money, we just have this skewed view towards it. It's, you have to look at money as freedom. The more money you have, the more potential for freedom you have. The more freedom you have, the less money it takes to maintain that level of freedom. And what I mean by that, because people will go, well, that just sounds like you talked in a big circle. Not really. And the example I use is in the book of say you're, you know, you just graduated from college. You have your first job, you know, you're getting ready to buy a house or you've bought your house and you have, you're, you have these student loans. Well, we're taught you must go up the ladder, right? You must go up the career path. You must make more money. And I'm all, no, not necessarily. You can actually gain more freedom by gaining more money by paying off the debt. So the student loans, as you pay them off, you haven't made any more money, but you've given yourself a raise because by the time you pay off that debt, you now have an extra five, six, seven hundred dollars whatever it is a month that you didn't have before. So now, technically, you haven't earned more, but you have more freedom. So you could actually drop down in earnings, still make more than you did previously. Thus, that's how you maintain or you have the more freedom you have, which is again tied the less money it takes to maintain that. Does it make sense? I mean, because yeah, few people yeah. got a little baffled on that and they went, what in the world do you mean by that? I go, and that's a good example. And that's why I'm glad they bring that question up because that's part of the system. The grid masters, as I like to call them, they want you to think this way. They don't want you to put those pieces together. Well, what's interesting is if someone read your book before they got into debt, it's a great roadmap to, th roadmap to think about how not to get into debt and become a slave yeah. to the grid system, the grid master system, the corporate state, as I like to refer to them. Mm -hmm. But you know, not everyone's there. Majority of people at some degree have some degree of debt. And what I hear you saying is like, okay, you have some debt. There are things you can do to reduce your debt towards zero increase your income by not increasing the amount of work you do, but by not having the debt that you're paying off every month, that's more money you have in your, in your wallet, basically. Well, in recognizing that debt and how the system perpetuates it, um, you know, our financial system, our crony, crony capitalistic system, uh, it's all built upon, again, consumerism. And it's no secret. You watch any program, 70% of our economy is based on us basically consuming most of the things we really don't need, yep. you know, beyond, you know, food, shelter, and basic, basic health. I mean, that's what you- And books. Need. And books. And books. Good books. <laughs> and books are cheap. And that's what I always tell people. I go, one of the greatest ways to learn, which in the new book I talk about, is books are dirt cheap. I mean, they can change your life for 10, 15 bucks, mm -hmm. you know? Um, what a great way. And that's why I'm a big believer in reading. I always have been. Um, and And- continuing to educate yourself. And that's why I wrote this book too. And I wrote it very, very differently than the typical personal finance books out there. There's no book like this one out there. I'm not patting myself on the shoulder because it's a terrible move because it's off on its own world. And as a writer, you never want to do that, but it had to be written this way to make sense and to drive home a point that we don't have an earning problem in this country. We have plenty of money and people go, Oh, you're, 
you're saying the poor, the poor in this country is the richest 1% in the world. I mean, I've been around the world. I've seen terrible, terrible poverty. I've seen people who do not have free will, freedom of choice. It's not good. We have it far better than that. Our poorest have every opportunity to live a life of abundance. And in most cases, our poor do live a life of abundance. Now, does that mean that, you know, I'm being unfair in that type of, you know, model? No, what I'm saying is we all have the opportunity here to do better. And I do it by math. I say addition, subtraction, multiplication, division. That's all you need. That's all I'm going to use in this book, simple formulas. And so I wanted to take people through from very young age to an older age to show how much money this consumer lifestyle and the life you've been told to live that does not make you happy. The proof is in the pudding that it's done on purpose. And the, but the main thing is you do it to yourself. You know, I think it'd be helpful to contextualize our conversation sure. in your larger picture, which you uh, lay out in your various books, because it's not just about let's reduce consumer debt so we can get more consumer debt. Yeah. You have a book on minimalism and simplicity. You have books on health, you know, so it's about, from what I understand from reading your work and having conversations with you, it's about lifestyle design, creating a life that's meaningful to you, that's independent of this grid, master grid, corporate state consumer system, which requires one to be, you know, it doesn't require, but, you know, necessitates really health, mental health, emotional health, spiritual health. Uh, and part of that process is pretty much, you know, getting yourself out of this system of debt. So let's, yeah. let's walk through some of the areas that you talk about in your book. Mm -hmm. uh, food, eating out, which, blow, you know, man, it makes, makes me have to do a lot of self-reflection because I've listened, I've read your book and I've listened to it a few times. Every time I'm like, damn, do I really want to listen to that section again with all the food I eat out and coffees I get? I don't drink coffee this, this, this month. I'm off coffee. But I'm oh, like, why damn. would you do that? That's not right. I'm, re I'm reducing exogenous stimulants for a little while. Getting oh, nice. Out. But talk about, seriously, talk about, you know, how much money we pretty much unconsciously spend eating out. Well, in our health and the three-legged stool, uh, let's, uh, let's take a quick step back a little bit because please, what please. I'm teaching is, what I teach is your personal journey to freedom and happiness. That's what I'm teaching and people go, well, what makes you the expert? Well, A, I teach other people to do it and I've done it. <laughs> Everything I teach, I've done, I do. There's no BS. There's no smoke screens. You know, that's not how I write. These aren't research books. Some of it is, but it's based upon my experience of breaking out over a decade ago, right around a decade when I left the government and I decided I was going to live the life I want to live. I'd drawn my line in the sand. I said, enough's enough. This is not working. I pursued the American dream. I did exactly as I was told. It's not working. So that's where it comes from. That's the root of it. And I have a pretty extensive background in health. I've been in health and athletics for over four decades. That's what I really know. And I, was te I had a health company once I left the government. And that's why health is the first leg of the three-legged stool of the simple life. It's health financial freedom by being debt-free and finding your life purpose. Well, everything revolves off health and we're the only animal on the planet that doesn't know how to eat to survive and thrive. Yeah. 
Let that sink in. Yeah. The only animal on this planet that is so clueless and so lost, we have no basic understanding of what to eat and how to move. How does that even happen? If, if breathing wasn't an automatic physiological response, half the population would be dead. I mean, I'm not being a jerk. We have lost our mind. It'd be a multi-billion dollar industry of teaching us how to breathe. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And there would be all kinds of courses. Peter breath, the paleo breath, the vegetarian breath. Yeah, exactly. Well, I've seen courses on breathing. Well, that's actually legitimate because, you know, in the yogic traditions, you know, exactly. breath practices. But no, I've seen derivatives of that that are literally how to breathe in a mall. I need a course on that. Yeah. Not yoga. It was just someone teaching you how to breathe. I yeah, kid I you not. Yeah. Crazy. Um, and so with that, that's, you know, and I had always taught with my clients because the first excuse I would get was I can't afford to be healthy. I can't afford to eat healthy. Or what would follow is I don't eat like the average American. And I'm looking at them going, you look like the average American. So <laughs> something's wrong. Maybe yeah. we missed something here. Oh. And health is, is the biggest kind of, it's not my fault and a ton of excuses category. Mm-hmm. I mean, if, yeah, it never ends. People will give every excuse to not be healthy I've ever heard. And so with that, I had to do it monetarily because it all fit together. People would say, I don't have enough time to be healthy. I don't do what everyone else does. And, uh, you know, it was always you know, there was always a multitude, but it always fit within that three-legged stool a bit. And so I went, you know, let's, let's diffuse this money thing because that is the biggest load of crap I've ever heard. And 99% of the general population to this day believes it's more expensive to live a healthy lifestyle than it is just to be the average American. No, it's not. It is far cheaper to be healthy. And I did it by math and yeah. I've proven it costs you about a third to eat healthy and live a healthy lifestyle. And that's being generous. We're not talking about long-term care, shortening of life, unproductive in, in work, in whatever you do, bad relationships, you know, even divorce. I mean, divorce, the number one category is money. Well, I guarantee right behind that's health, which intertwines with money. They kind of go together because I'll tell you what, when you're unhealthy, you're cranky. I know yeah. I've been there. Yeah, yeah. You're not nice to be around at times if you yeah. don't feel good. Well, guess what? Most people who feel good are usually happy. I'll be honest with you. And and, it's not and, perfect. And what's really interesting about not feeling good is most people don't even, it's their norm. They don't even yeah. know that they're not feeling well. That, you know, it, it's because I've worked with people and, and I put them on, you know, I'll have them go on like a 30 day cleansing diet where they remove lots of stuff and, and, and they, they feel for the first time the difference between how they normally feel, which is like crap or like shit, and they feel exactly. pretty good. And they start reintroducing the foods that they, you know, that they took away from their diet. And they're like, wow, now I feel like cognitive decline and fogginess and achy bones, and achy joints. And now I realize for the first time I've lived that way the majority of my life, uncomfortable in my own, own body. Well, and that's the thing is – don't get me wrong. It, it is our fault, but also we've been brainwashed. You know, we have decades of false, false health. I mean, the, the food pyramid is the biggest load of shit we've ever been put upon us. And then it costs $2 million to turn the pyramid into a plate. 
That's how much it cost, the government chart cost to change that pyramid to a plate. It was $2 million. I looked it up when they did it to see how much it cost. And it's the same thing. It's, they're in bed with the pharmaceutical drug industry, health industry, and also the food industry. They're yeah. all in cahoots. And I hate to be the conspiracy guy, but guys, I worked there. Okay. I was on the inside. You I watched it happen. You work for the USDA. Yeah. yeah. And FDA. Yeah. And, you know, I worked, it was, it was maddening at times to see what was going on. And, and to me, once I kind of realized, because I was on the wrong health path too, even though I was healthier than most Americans, I was doing it wrong. Mm. And it took me to investigate and research uh, a lot of naturopaths, uh, you know, and, and NDs and stuff that I, I started seeing certain literature and I'd have to read it. And I go, that makes sense. Don't get me wrong. There's hucksters everywhere. Mm-hmm. Don't get me wrong. The natural world has just as many hucksters as the modern medicine, Western medicine. They're all over the place. Health is a place for pure snake oil salesmen. Yeah. They all find it. They love going there. And I call them the false prophets. Yeah, right, which, right which is something I introduce a lot more in um, the, the Simple Life Guide to Decluttering Your Life and the new book, I really get into it. That's not out yet. Tease, tease, but, tease. <laughs> yeah, and, and, and you know, exactly. And I, not to pick on Oprah Winfrey, but I call it the Oprah Winfrey effect. You know, she is, millions of people have gone to Oprah Winfrey, bought a bunch of her products, made her even richer, which she doesn't even need the money, which makes it even sicker to me. <laughs> Bizarre, right? Why Oprah has to get involved in health, I have no idea besides to make money because she's never been able to maintain her health or her weight. Why are you getting advice from Oprah on weight loss and health? She's not an expert. She has no background in it. She's never been able to maintain any of it. Now, you want to go to her for to create a media empire? Yeah, you probably want to go to Oprah. I'd go to Oprah for her. And I've met her. She's a nice lady from what I can tell. But I'm saying the false prophets, it's... We have, and I, I researched it more because I'm all, why, why do we do this so much? And you find it in the health world a lot that people will follow people and not even dig into their background, read their books, try and figure out what experience do these guys have in health? And for a while, and, not, and it still happens part today, but about 10 years ago when blogging became real popular, there was a lot of real popular health blogs that were getting hundreds of thousands of hits a day, some of them. Wow. These people, I dug into some of them, literally zero background in health. They had lost five pounds. They had gained 10 pounds. They had really cute pictures of recipes. And I got in trouble for it because I called some of them out. I went, hey, I don't even call myself a health expert. <laughs> and I got decades. Of, I mean, I, you know, I just started. I was all, oh, no, I feel a little uncomfortable. Literally, these people had zero, nothing. They never even, some of them never even done an athletic event. I mean, not, I was like, what are we doing? Right. And they had hundreds of thousands of followers. So I dug into the psychology of it a little bit. And what I had found is most people follow false prophets because it's a scapegoat. It's if you fail following a false prophet, it kind of takes the, you know, it takes it off you and self-responsibility because you just go, ah, it didn't work. And what they do is they jump to the next false prophet. And we see this a lot in health. It's jumping from fad to fad, you know, next, next miracle cure to next miracle cure. 
and no one ever wins in that. If anything, especially diets, they, they actually ruin your metabolism eventually. If you keep doing yo-yo diets and doing extreme okay. diets, the science and literature has proven that it makes your, ruins your metabolism, actually slows it down even more than if you just ate the crappy diet that you were eating before. <laughs> so that doesn't mean keep doing that. But on the health side, there's so much involved for you. You know, it's why would you not treat your health as number one priority? Why would you chase false profits? And for me, the, and we've talked about this, the alarming thing is we're not just losing the battle. We're losing it very badly and, and quickly. I am watching people blow up within months. In the last two years, I've watched the average American. The size difference is enormous. We are quickly, male and female, coming up on the average human being averaging 200 pounds in America. Yeah, it's coming. I, We're I, really I, close. Yeah, and I have to imagine there, there will be eventually be a tipping point where as a species, at least here in the West or especially in America, there's going to be no going back because there's going to be epigenetic effects that is yes. so hard to unwind you know, generations down the road. Oh, it's good. And that's what I mean. And not only that, but the money involved, you know, what, just by loose numbers, I, I came up with the average family of four will waste 500,000, half million dollars in their lifetime on eating out. Yeah, right. I was conservative. It could, my numbers could easily put it to a million dollars. And I proved too mathematically that every American has the capability to be a millionaire, every single American. And that's a pretty brutal statement. But again, I did it conservatively. These aren't, I, I went the low end of the scale. I made sure I used the most conservative numbers I could possibly use. And on the health side, to me too, it's the easiest one to control because you can start doing it right now. You don't need any special gizmos. You don't need any expensive equipment. Eat healthy, get rid of the crap, eat real food and move. Move like a human. That's it. That's all it takes. And I've created movement. Erwan would love you saying that. <laughs> I know. Me and me and Erwan, I, I love him, by the way, of, of MoveNet. Yeah, yeah. Great yeah, guy. Great yeah. philosophy. And me and him are on the same page. And it's mimicking natural movement. And what do people mean by that? I go, well, being a human, we're an animal. And, and that's part of the problem, too, is we've so far removed ourselves from what we are, which is something that came from the earth, literally. I'm not making this up. The elements in your body came from this planet, came from the ground, came from asteroids, meteors. We're made of space dust. Are, are you a fan of Alan Watts? Uh, I know the name. Okay. He's a, he's a philosopher from the 60s. He, he's a Zen philosopher, um, kind of hung out the Timothy Leary crowd in the late 60s. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. He's written dozens of books. But he, I, he, he said, as the apple tree apples, the earth peoples, yeah. Uh, and that's always struck, struck as a great way of thinking about it. And, and you're the first person besides him that I've heard that from. <laughs> so that's awesome. And I'm a guy that just kind of, I'm very analytical, but I, I always believe in simplicity. And that's why I teach the simple life, because I feel that we make things far too complicated. And I've made a lot of enemies in the health world, because what I teach, not a lot of money in on the health side, just isn't, <laughs> because it's that straightforward. There's no gimmicks. There's no fancy products. You know, being healthy, once people get it, as you know, I've watched them. They just go, 
what was I thinking? I go, exactly. Once you get in stride, you create good habits. The habits become second nature because people think I go around, you know, all I do is measure my food. You know, I have my, my books writing my workouts. I've never, I haven't written a workout in over two decades. I don't do any of that. And people think I do this neurotic, highly focused health regimen. I spend far less time than the average American thinking about health, the out of shape, obese American. So let me, let me ask you about that though, before we jump into the financial freedom side of things. So mm -hmm. with my clients, for, for instance, I do have them track things at the very beginning of our work together uh, for a specific period of time, six months, nine months, a year, because they don't have these habits. They have yes. bad habits. We're trying to replace with good yeah. habits. But I have found, for instance, that tracking stuff at the very beginning is useful. And then after a while, you don't need to do that anymore because that's just who you are and how you live your life. You and know, that's the thing too, that. is people take that leap and they think that they don't have to do anything. You know, that just give them, the, give them the how. Don't forget the why. I just want the how. The how doesn't work without the why. Mm -hmm. And it's especially true in health. And you're right. I do teach people that you must, you much, must pay attention to calories. You must pay attention to workouts. You must, you know, write That's, stuff yeah, down yeah. in the beginning mm -hmm. because you need, do need to track it somewhat. You know, I'm a little different cat. I don't need to write a bunch of stuff down. I'm just not, even though I'm very organized and I do write stuff down, I have a very simple system again. And, and that's, you're right though. People need to learn the basic steps before they get in. Cause I know some people teach, oh, don't worry about calories. They don't matter. Oh, yes, they do. And you better know what, what calorie is attached to a food item, the amount of calories. Cause once you get there and then you learn it, but once you eat the proper foods, then calories, matter. then they don't matter, yeah, 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 yeah. you know, yeah. but you have to recognize what that calorie count is in the beginning and expenditures to what kind of physical activity. Because yeah, yeah. people tend to think they can exercise a bad diet away, yeah. but you can't. Yeah. And here's the simple reason why. A thousand calories, which you can ingest today in a latte for the most part, you can get pretty close to a thousand calories just off one sugary drink. Off, you know, depending because most, some of them are just milkshakes with coffee in them, basically, and a Snickers bar ground in. You get a thousand calories, it can take you a couple hours of straight cardio with no breaks to burn that one thing off. That one thing, not to include all the other crap you're going to eat throughout the day. It is impossible to exercise a poor diet away. And not only that, but you don't have the nutrients and you don't have the ability to to regenerate this, this, this muscle tissue and all the chronic inflammation that's going on. So you're actually making it worse yeah. instead of better. So, yeah. And I know I went on a couple of tangents there, that's but good, good. so <clears throat> one of your pillars were of the three legged stools health and mm -hmm. pretty clear on that um, in terms of, you know, eating nutrient dense diet, movement, yeah. movement and exercise. Very cool. Obviously, sleep would be part of that as well. Very important part of our health continuum. Yep. Um, talk, talk to us now, let's, the other leg of the school. Let's, let's switch back to financial freedom and uh, the connection to health and the connection to food. Because what you do in your book is you walk through, you've already acknowledged, like conservatively, we could spend what you said, a million dollars? A half million. Half a million dollars. Four. 
yeah. eating out and eating out, obviously, unless you're going to like, you know, an organic restaurant, you know exactly what they're producing, how, you know, how they're making the food. You have no idea what they're putting in terms of the oils they're using, et cetera, et cetera. Um, so talk a little about that. And then let's transition to other areas where people kind of unconsciously spend money and make themselves slaves to the system, the grid masters, as you like to yeah. say. Um, on the health side, like I said, it's, it, it, it's about a third to prepare your own food, the same meal. So if you go out and have a hamburger and fries, which isn't terrible, but it's not great, <laughs> depending if you cook it yourself, I'm saying it's still, still going to be high in calories. It's still going to be high in carbohydrates, but doing that here and there, you're fine. But well, if you were to pre prepare that same meal at home, A, it would be far healthier, far healthier. And it would cost you a third yeah. as opposed to a fast food joint. Yeah. And I went out and did some research and went out and, you know, I, I, I don't, I'm not a, I'm not perfect. I will eat out on occasion. It makes me not feel so good, but I do do it, <laughs> especially when I'm on the road here and there, but I try and make far healthier choices. I'm telling you, I have not been able to eat lunch for under 10 bucks in most cases. Lunch is easily 15 bucks. Yep. Dinner, 25 it's expensive and and you have to realize that and not only that but when you eat this unhealthy diet you eat far more calories consume far more calories than you would eating a natural diet and i i talk to people about this all the time i eat far less food than i used to a decade ago and yet i i weigh i weigh about five pounds less seven depending you know, depending, because I, you know, I'll lift, I've lifted sometimes, I had more muscle, man. It just depends. Yeah. But within staying within parameters of where, where I was before, I'm eating probably, like I said, half. If we just looked at the plates, looked at everything, calories, like 2,000 calories, 2,500 calories, that's a lot. Yeah. And if you eat real nutrient dense foods, they tend not to be super high calorie to begin with. Right, right. So that's, what I mean, there's a whole lot going on here, but once you figure it out, so you're going to eat less food, which means your grocery bill is going to be less. It is a third to prepare it. So it, it has this kind of effect. And then the cognitive function comes back. You start feeling better. You're more productive. You're a better person to be around. You're more focused. Well, guess what? Now that's going to increase your income even more, more than likely, right? And so it's this pattern. You know, and then you got to figure in all the over-the-counter drugs that you take, allergy pills, Pepto-Bismol, you know, anti-diarrhea this, anti-cramp that, you know, it's just never ending. And, you know, uh, you know, the, the anti over-the-counter anti-inflammatories, all this stuff that you take, headaches and all this, the Tylenol, all this stuff. I don't have hardly, I, I have hardly any of that, if anything, in my medicine. It, it, I don't have any, I don't buy that stuff anymore. I don't need to. So it just keeps going and going and going. And once you kind of figure that, and that's only one piece. I'm just giving you one small piece. And we've already captured five, a half to a million dollars during your lifetime yeah. that you know nothing about, that you don't even, no one talks about. I think that's huge. That's huge. And it's not just breakfast, lunch, or dinner, or whatever way you organize your meals throughout the day. But, you know, the, these coffee breaks we take where we go get these special coffees, and we pay a lot of money for the experience at these cafes. That, that is part of the add up 
to the half a million dollars, million yeah. dollars that we might be spending as well. Yeah. How hard is it to make your own cup of coffee? Uh, you know, we've just become incredibly lazy and not only that, but just to go get that cup of coffee, I make a really good organic espresso, you grind my beans, which I do and, you know, have it on my stovetop little espresso maker that cost me 80 bucks that I've had eight years and will have till the day I die. I'll never have to rebuy it. And, you know, I can do that all on my own. It, it caught, takes me far less time than you going through the Starbucks drive through or going it, way longer, but everyone's all, well, I got my app now. Oh, so let's make it more convenient to kill yourself and spend <laughs> money. Makes sense. Okay. That's how you circumvent my argument is say, oh, I'm just going to make it quicker. Okay. <laughs> you know, that just means that you live with your heroin dealer. Well, it's also Grubhub and some of these other apps, which I'm guilty of using uh, as well, which makes it easy. I don't even have to go to the restaurant. They can just deliver right to me. <laughs> yeah, and I, I give that example in the book of, you know, that's just your, again, your heroin dealer just delivering to your door. Yeah. Instead of you going to the street corner now, they just come to you. Yeah. That ends usually pretty badly. It never goes well. <laughs> and that's what we're doing with food. Let's, that's the exact same thing. Let's go from food. Um, so we obviously have to eat. So it's, in, yep. you know, all the time. And you talk about w weddings. Not everyone has to get married. So let's oh. put that aside for a moment. Let's talk about something else that we, we have to have clothing. And you talk about clothing. And part of clothing is also all the accoutrements that go with having to wear clothes. Talk a little bit about that. How much money we spend kind of unconsciously in that space. Uh, Madison Avenue loves us spending money and convinces us we need these clothes. Oh, yeah. When you think of fashion, well, even we'll go back to eating just real quickly, like breakfast. Breakfast was created by, by the food industry. You go to cultures, cultures don't eat breakfast out. In, you eat when you're hungry. That's a whole, we can go find my book and, or listen, I'm going to do a podcast coming up on this. Um, I don't eat on a schedule, which throws people for a loop. They go, when do you eat? I go, when I'm hungry. They go, when is that? I go, different time every day. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And to me, that's just common sense. That's just natural rhythms. To the average American, that is so obtuse that I literally get cross-eyed looks of, what? What do you mean? And that's what I want to, I use that as an example. You have to open your mind up. You have to think of everything differently. We've been ingrained in this world of consumerism, which has nothing to do with you living a better life. It's pinching pennies and nickels out of you every place they can and clothes is a great one fashion where'd fashion come from well guess where it came from it came from the the rich the rich uh people in in europe back in the 17 and 1800s who were bored to death in 1600s probably medieval all that they when kings and queens were around i guess they still are in some places but technically um but they they were bored and that's where fashion created. They'd have parties and they would play dress up. That's where fashion came from. Mm -hmm. And then someone figured out, well, if we can get all these up and coming people who are making money and even the poor people think that they need to do this in order to be cool and fit in, I'm going to be a millionaire. And that's exactly what happened. I always go back to hunter-gatherers, right? Yeah. Hunter-gatherers only, their clothing was from what they had around them. And I'm not saying go out and run around in a loin skin or, you know, a loincloth or any of that, unless you really want to and get arrested. But <laughs> you know what I mean? I, you know, <laughs> maybe, maybe depending where you're at. Um, 
you know, but they would own, everything was a tool, a utility. Their clothing was for warmth. They stripped it down when it was hot. You know, they did basically wander around in basic shoes, if shoes at all, which would be basically sandals, um, or a loincloth. And that was it. It was very functional. I'm not going to that extreme that you need to dress like that, but you must realize fashion is a waste of money. If you change clothes to the season, besides putting on a coat when it's cold and taking it off when it's warm, what's the point? And then I've had people got, I pissed some people off with a couple chapters that didn't like it too much. And they're all, well, what? I'm not supposed to look good. I go, well, who are you impressing? I go, what's the point? I go, what does your work require of you to wear? What is the requirement? Do you need to change your clothes per season? Can you have a basic set of clothes to go to work in that you, you look presentable, you rotate them? And I give this example. I go, why do you care? Most people can't remember what they ate for breakfast. They shouldn't be eating it anyway, but they can't remember what they ate for breakfast, let alone what you wore two days ago. They can't remember. They have no idea. And let's say that someone points out that, hey, Gary or, or Mike, you, you wore that shirt two days ago. Ugh. I don't want to be around that person. Who cares? Pay attention to your own shit. You're, you're, you probably have, life's a shit show anyway. Why are you paying attention to my shirt? You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, what, yeah. You know what? I, it's that mentality of, why are you so focused on me? How about you focus on you? That's who you need to focus on. And, and by that, we throw away on average, depending family size, you know, where you live type of job, but we throw right around 60, 65 pounds of clothes a year mm. per person. Toss. Wow. We spend thousands of dollars, some people thousands of dollars a year on clothes that A, they'll never wear, That's B, true. will be out of fashion by the time they try to wear it. <laughs> I mean, how many closets have you been in of a friend and you, literally there's tags still on the clothing. Yeah, uh, sure, there's sure. shoes still in the boxes. Yeah. Clothing is an element to either go to work or perform a specific task in. That's all it's for. And, and like I said, I'm not talking about wear a uniform of conformity where we all look the same. I'm not talking about that because in, in actuality, we all do kind of look the same by following this. Yeah, yeah. For me, I tell people, I go, when I go to a business meeting, I'm in the same clothes I wear every day. It's either cargo pants, hiking shoes, t-shirt. I own a couple polos. I don't own a tie. Slack. I don't even own a dress shirt anymore. I don't have to. <laughs> I know. And, and that was I, one of the first things I got rid of. When I didn't need a tie, I got rid of all of it because I went, a tie is one of the most idiotic it dressing is. to it's a thing to choke me is all it is for. Yeah. I mean, honestly, yeah, um, um, you know, so thinking of it that way, you know, you can rotate clothing. So if you have to go to work, you know, for me, that's what I wear. And I tell people, they go, you'll show up to a business meeting in that. I go, well, usually the people I'm showing up are dressed just like me, if not worse. We're all the same in the sense that we're all in, you know, more of a simple living, you know, more outdoorsy kind of thing. But I go, if Someone says to me in a business meeting, you dress like shit. I don't think we, you know, what, what's wrong with you? We don't need to do business then. This is who I am. This has nothing to do with what I teach. It's just clothing. That's all it is. 
you know, I mean, don't take it to the extreme and show up in, you know, a shirt from 1968 or something with holes in it or anything. You got to be presentable. I get that. But for me, why would I, why would I own a suit? I don't wear a suit. If I need a suit, I'll go get one, but I don't see needing one. So rotate your clothing, have five sets of clothes to get through the work week, right? Five shirts, five blouses, slacks, couple skirts, you know, black pair of shoes, brown pair of shoes, maybe a casual. That's all you need. That's it. You don't need anything outside of that. And again, if you're worried about people going, you wear the same clothes every single week, who cares? Again, what impact does Just that directly have on your matters. life? Yeah, yeah. And not only that, but uh, I did the math on that. It's a lot of money. We blow on clothes and fashion. And again, fashion was designed to get you to spend money. And we, you know, you're almost playing make-believe a bit, right? And, and you know, I, I saw, I also gave that chapter where the average man and woman, what they spend on uh, personal care products, kind of more of, you know, colognes and lotions and all that. I was shocked at how much men spend today. I knew women spend a lot because I'd researched it before and I had... Um, a female friend who hit kind of indicated to me that I needed to look at that at one point. She goes, do you know how much women she was in used to be in the cosmetics business? And she goes, you'd be shocked at how much women spend on this stuff. And I went, really? And so I looked at men though. It's like a hundred. I, what was it? I may have been wrong. Maybe it's $200,000 roughly in a lifetime. So I start breaking the math all out and I went, how much do I spend? And I went, I don't even know if I spend a couple hundred bucks a year. You know, I may spend, I think it might be a hundred or less. I don't even know. It's not that much. Again, big chunk of money. Women spend over $300,000 of facial products, perfumes, and all that stuff. And here's the kicker. They, they throw away two thirds of it without ever wow. using it. Holy shit. Yes. Wow. Yeah, and I looked it upside and down every which way I can. You know, it's not going to be an exact science, right? Mm -hmm. But those were the best numbers I could come up with. And I asked people too, and I asked women I knew. I went, "Is this sound right?" One, one of my friends, she goes, "Oh no, that's low." She goes, "I, I know women who who spend way more than that, and they throw almost all of it away. They just continue to buy it." And I went, "Oh, wow." And again, but why do we do that? Why do we play the fashion? and spackle my face game because we're told that that's what we must do if you want to be cool if you want to fit in this is what you must do and when you dig pull a layer off of that and kind of dig a little deeper what we're being told is to pretend to be someone else it's actually really interesting because the message is you're not enough yes and it doesn't work so you're still not enough. So you need to do the next thing, whatever the next thing that comes out. So it's a never ending, really a never ending cycle. Exactly. And, and you know, it, and it is, it's a hard balance because people go, why I'm not as lucky as you. I can't just roll around in my workout clothes all day. And I go, I get that. I get that. But I go, I can, and I do. And I know other people who can and don't, they still play dress up. They still do it because it's that ingrained in us. And again, I'm saying, don't, you know, you got to have a balance in there, but I guarantee over your lifetime, bare minimum, you'll save 
tens and tens of thousands of dollars that you could use on something else. Well, what I hear you're saying is just be more conscious in your decisions, what you purchase in the marketplace, whether it's clothing or food or whatever, um, especially if you want to be living debt free or minimize your debt or, or minimize your exposure to the brainwashing from the grid masters, as you put it. Well, and a lot of this stuff is bought on credit. Yeah. That's true. another problem is not only are we buying these items that we don't necessarily need, we're buying items that we can't even afford. Yeah. You know, we're, we're told just put it on the credit card. And I mean, when you think of a credit card, it is one of the most screwed up ideas of, oh, you can't afford it? No problem. Just, just finance it. And you're financing, think of this, shoes, clothes, you know, personal care products. That's insane. And credit cards have the highest interest. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. You're, you're really, really screwing yourself. You're, you're putting yourself in perpetual debt. And that's what I talk about is if you follow the system from beginning to end by, I start with as a kid, not being taught how to save and how to earn money and actually learn hard work and how important money is. It starts there. And then it just perpetuates itself all through life until we get to the, you know, we get to our fifties and sixties and we go, Oh shit, I'm broke. And that's the average American. And the statistics show that yeah, the, I think the average that, American know, is completely unprepared to retire. They have yeah, no money. We've talked about that, that $400 is the kind of the amount most have if, if that much in their savings account for an emergency, majority of the American people. If that, uh, yeah, most people, don't have the ability to pay a $500 emergency. So yeah, anything that pops up, they don't have the cash. Yeah. And then I think the average is uh, over half the population has less than a thousand dollars saved for retirement. Mm. Maybe it's 10. I have to look, I can't remember yeah. all my stats in there, but they're pretty shocking. Yeah, no, they were shocking. Let's, let's talk about one more kind of area that we spend our money in and uh, housing. Yeah. You do an amazing job kind of breaking the numbers down and even talking about things that like I didn't, I didn't even hear about. Yeah. Like the extra, like, oh, my, my, my house is worth a lot more. I'm going to sell it on the market, but I'm actually not earning, earning the money I thought I was from the difference between what I bought it and what I'm selling it for. Because all these hidden expenses were kind of built in over the years I never thought about. But let's talk about housing for a moment. Yeah, and that chapter is probably, probably the most controversial. And I've gotten really good feedback off it, though, from people who are considered more financial experts or financial managers. And they came back to me and one guy went, I'm shocked. He goes, I had no idea I was losing that much money in my house. And I don't say this from some, you know, just came up with, I, I, my side hustle was real estate in right, the government. Right. That's where I started. I had a real estate license for eight years. I've owned several properties. I've built several houses. I've had, you know, apartments. I mean, I, I know it pretty well. Mm -hmm. um, and what I'd found by my own research of trying to come to hard numbers on what I was really making in a property, it got tricky, I noticed. And you never really look at your closing statement and look at all the costs associated when you buy a home and when you sell a home. And I started crunching numbers probably 10 plus years ago on one house that I sold, I went, this says I made money, but I'm pretty confident I lost money in that thing. But it showed a profit of like $38,000 a month. Mm, I don't think so. So I, I went through and started crash, crunching everything. 
and I found that on average, if you're lucky in America, lucky, if everything goes 100% right, you'll break even on your house. Mm. And that is not the norm. That is, I would, I, I would even call it atypical uh, that you break even. Uh, most people lose money. And I, I crunched it again and again. I went, wow, I don't know. These numbers are pretty bad. They're pretty devastating. So I tell people, you have to look at the whole picture. So you have to look at what you pay in interest on your loan. Mm -hmm. You know, you have to, that's not on your closing statement. They never talk. It's just what you paid for it, what you sold it for, boom, the difference in, in your closing. That's it. None of the maintenance, HOAs, insurance, you know, your utilities, your, your interest on your loan. They don't get, there's none of that. You have to factor all that in to the cost of the house. So by financing a house today, even with low interest rates at, you know, 20, most people don't put 20% down either. This is at 20% down doing everything right. Not having any PMI, forgot about PMI, PMI, uh, mortgage insurance that you pay if you don't put 20% down, which is totally wasted money. Um, You factor all that in. And like I said, and the average American lives in their house six to seven years. And this, I've found this to be very true, me included. So you're, you, what you're doing is you're not even staying in the house long enough to even break even. You're selling before you can even get to that point. And even in a hot market, you'll, you'll probably break even or close to in a hot market unless it just takes off. Mm-hmm. So in those six, seven years, so what you're doing is you move to the next house. So you repeat this cycle. Every six to seven years, you repeat this massive debt cycle. And people don't understand that loans are front-loaded, all loans. And they do this on purpose. You pay the majority of the interest in your loan at the beginning of your payments, not at the end. The end is when it goes to zero. (laughs) So it's stacked to where you pay the most interest from the beginning to the end. So it's, it's high to low. So guess what you're doing those six, seven years? You're paying them a big chunk of that interest up front. Then you turn around, you do it again. Yeah. And you do it again. And then, you know, then you have to factor in, like I said, all the other costs associated with house. And I'm not saying houses are bad investments. The way we buy them is a bad investment. The way we're taught to buy them. I tell people you have to have 20% down. If you don't have 20%, you can't afford a house. And people go, oh my God, I got to rent this and that. I go, at least renting you can leave. I went, you're going to lose the same amount of money more than likely, but at least you can leave, you know, if things go bad, you know, and now that we're not being able to write off the, the, the interest, you know, now, or the taxes and all that, I forgot, yeah, taxes, all that. I mean, there's so many small little pieces that go into owning a house, remodeling. It's unending. And so think of it this way. The average cost of a house today is around $260,000 pre-built not new construction, new constructions, 400 plus. Especially so, Petro, <laughs> that's a low end here. <laughs> low end, right? Yeah, and yeah. for the average cost of a house in Southern California, I'll own two houses outright with close to probably a hundred acres. Yeah. Think of that. <laughs> own them. And, uh-huh. you know, I own my house. I own my house in, in my off-grid house. I, I own it outright. I did that. I did it on purpose. Was it painful? Yes, but I did it and I'm very happy to do it that way. I don't have a mortgage payment. Mm -hmm. And 
you know, understand. So that $260,000 house, you just got to double it. It's going to cost you 520,000 is the easiest math to do mm -hmm. in the end. That's how much that house will cost you. So that means you got to sell it for over $520,000 when you go to sell to break even. No one talks about this. The financial yeah. industry is incredibly smart at taking our money. Yeah. And guess who is the same industry that has your retirement accounts? That same one that just sold you that shitty home loan is the <laughs> same one where you're putting your retirement money into. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know if that's really a good idea you know it, basically it's it's all the racket <laughs> yeah and i i hate to be you know i hate to be such a downer in a way but i tell people if if you're looking to chase unicorns pet bunny rabbits and you know talk about puppy dogs all day i'm not your guy i've learned kid gloves don't work we you know, we live in the most prosperous country, the best times. Technically, these are the best times. But we're broke, we're unhealthy, and we're miserable. Something's wrong. Something's wrong with this picture. We should be living in complete utopia. We should not be worrying about people being able to get health care. We shouldn't be worried about people just getting immunizations if they can't afford them in, in the world. You know, the flu vaccine. I mean, there's parts of the world that can't even get the flu vaccine. That's insane. And it, it, don't get me wrong. Immunizations are a topic for another time. Yeah, I was going to say, well, as an example, let's not, let's not go down that path. example. Don't to. freak out and send a ton of bad emails to yeah. me. <laughs> example, but for vitamin D. <laughs> well, and that's the thing, though. Immunizations come from our poor health. That's why we have to keep creating more immunizations, more immunizations, mm. because we don't have the the defense anymore against these basic diseases that we've been able to eradicate on our own without them, but I'm also not against immunizations either. It, it, there's a balance. There's both sides to that puzzle. Maybe we can do an episode on that sometime. Yeah, yeah. Another time. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But I mean, in the healthcare side, I want to get into this real quick, if you don't mind, Please. because with my background, people always ask me, and when I do live presentations, the first question I get, what do you do for healthcare? And I give them a pretty blatant answer. I went, I prepared for it. I have healthcare. I have affordable healthcare. I had the foresight 30 years ago when I went into the work industry to know it was going to be an issue. Luck, part of it, but something in my mind told me health insurance is important. You know why? Because I grew up without it. We didn't have it. We were poor. We had to pay cash when I got sick. When we got sick, we didn't go to the doctor unless we had to. That's the way it was. And I tell people, because right now the big debate is national healthcare, right? And it is incredibly expensive to have health insurance now, incredibly. And I go, but you have to look at, is there some, some factors of greed and manipulation? Absolutely, hands down. But you can't have national health care with our status of health today. It is financially impossible. We are so sick, we are so obese, we are so overweight that there is no way without just stripping the money from us, we would have to, I mean, the amount it would cost each citizen who, who has the ability to pay for it, it would, you can't do it. So again, the responsibility falls upon ourselves to take our health in our hands. It's my body, mine. Why am I waiting for someone else to tell me what to eat, to tell me how to exercise, to tell me what to do, 
to tell me that I need to take this prescription that's going to make me blind and give me chronic diarrhea to say the least. You know what I mean? Oh, Why yeah. am I doing that? that? It's me, me. And once we get back to that, then we can have a national health care debate. You can't have a national health care debate when the, the institution is sick, but the, the cause is just as sick to us, right? And that's where I get a little frustrated with people, and I, I try not to be because I, I get it. You know, health is a complicated issue right that's now. True. So let me ask you this. Um, <clears throat> sure. Where can people find the Simple Life Guide to Financial Freedom? Free yourself from the chains of debt and find financial peace. Oh, don't worry about that. I got a couple more tangents going. No, uh, <laughs> I, I get pretty passionate about this stuff. It's just because to me, once you have the right information, that's the critical thing. Get the right information from the right people. I'm not saying you need to come to me. There's a lot of good books out there. There's a lot of smart people. But find the right people. Learn and then take it upon yourself. You can find that, all that in all my books. See, see how I did that? Okay. Yeah, that's good. Uh, I, on my website, thesimplelifenow.com, N-O-W, thesimplelifenow.com. Don't go to The Simple Life. You'll end up at Nicole Ritchie and uh, what's her face? Paris Hilton's website, I think. Um, forgot about that one. But I sell everything on my website. You can also get it at Amazon. Um, my books are everywhere. You, you can find them. Can you, can you name a couple of your books besides this guide to financial freedom? Well, I didn't write them. Not kidding. <laughs> we didn't get into self-help books that aren't written by the author. <laughs> There's a lot. Uh, Profits. We can talk about that another time. Yeah. And we didn't get into that. I have two series basically. So I have my off grid books, which are going off the grid, living off the grid. And then a workbook called the beginner's guide to living off the grid, which I did with mother of the news who I speak with, speak at all the fairs and do workshops and signs and all signings and all that. Then there's the simple life. And the reason I did it that way was going off the grid is kind of its own thing. You know, a little more niche, a little more, you, you know, specialized. The simple life is more for the everyday person just trying to make some positive change. There's four books in the series so far. I'm writing the fifth right now. And it's Guide to RV, The Simple Life Guide to RV Living, The Simple Life Guide to Optimal Health, the Simple Life Guide to Decluttering Your Life, and the most recent one, The Simple Life Guide to Financial Freedom. Nice. Gary, great to talk to you. Definitely encourage folks to check out your books, all of them, not just this one. Yeah, and, buy them uh, all. Buy them all. Buy them all. <laughs> and uh, we'll be talking soon, I'm sure. Yeah, and make sure to check out my podcast. Definitely. Oh, yeah, your same about your podcast. That's a good Yeah, great. it's called Your Better Life on iTunes, Stitcher, all that good stuff. Uh, I, I know this guy who's been a guest on there before. Oh, it's you, Mike. Um, yeah, Mike's been on there. Uh, it's an open format. We discuss anything that, we've, that I feel is educational, except for deep politics. We, we get into a little bit, but that's not, that's not the focus. Cool. Thanks, Gary. Great to see you, man. Thanks, Mike.